guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 11, we looked at the issue concerning John the Baptist. That is, John sent some of his disciples over to Jesus to ask whether or not he was truly the one who was to come. That is the Messiah. And the reason why John asked about these things was John's mind was in the eschatological view of the Messiah. That is his second coming, what Jesus would do in his second coming or the Messiah would do. And we know this would be <laughs> Jesus in his second coming in that he would bring about judgment to the nation of Israel. He would administer judgment to the Gentile world. He would establish peace over all the world. And this was basically the issue of John's preaching as a whole. When we look at when John came to talk about Jesus himself, John talked about the judgment that the Messiah would bring. So John was in a state of confusion, wondering if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, why is he not doing these things? And why is John, his disciples, his disciple, his forerunner, why is John the Baptist himself in jail? So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus concerning these things. And so Jesus did many wonderful works and in the sight of John's disciples and told them to go and tell John what they have seen and tell John simply, as we would say, Hold on. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. There are always going to be things you don't understand, but don't let go of your faith. And so after that, there were people, no doubt, watching and listening to the things that were taking place between Jesus and John's disciple. And Jesus went on to a great and wonderful defense of John, speaking that John was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets and even the greatest ever born of a woman in that era. And Jesus made a distinction between the era of the kingdom and the era of the Old Testament because he said, what? Even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest of the old dispensation that is to pass. And so after that, and as we saw, Jesus was performing miracles to authenticate his person, his claim to be the Messiah. Those very things that he told, he allowed John the Baptist disciples to watch and to tell John about because Jesus knew that this would strengthen John's faith, that the disciples of John would hear and not only just simply hear, but they were eye firsthand witnesses to the wonderful things that Jesus has done. And so he knew that this would bring and establish John's faith. It would heal anything that was lacking in John's faith. So in the reverse sense, Jesus began to condemn some of the greater cities who had actually seen and witnessed his works and still did not believe. So there's a distinction between John and his wavering, or we should even say his confusion concerning Jesus. Big distinction between John and the cities of Israel who literally saw the wonders of Jesus. John never saw them. And so Jesus upbraided those cities and talked about a greater judgment for them because they have been given the greater advantage. The greater advantage is the teaching the preaching and the works, the miraculous works of the Messiah to prove that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And nevertheless, they still did not receive him. And so Jesus simply goes on, and I'm not gonna get into this in a grand sense, and to speak in such a way to say why they did not believe. And that's when he began that praise unto God the Father because it was not the will of God. God willed that those who are humble like children, not know-it-all people, and God also willed that it is through Christ the Son, because he, he obeys the complete will of the Father, that through him he would choose or bring believers unto himself. And then it ends in chapter 11 with Jesus extending that invitation saying, come unto me. And the whole issue, and we have to remember this because I can't rehash it. If you don't, didn't quite get it, you should go back and look at the end, the final section that I taught in chapter 11. When Jesus extended the invitation, come unto me, all who are heavy laden. Now, we commonly use this simply as an invitation unto salvation. Okay, that's fine. That's true. But 
even more precise. It is an invitation to come after Jesus as Messiah, to follow Jesus as well as his teachings over against the teachings of the Pharisee. And that's what that's you got to get that point because that's the main issue being heavy loading yoke around the believer's neck because of what? Remember what the Pharisees did. They did not simply command the people to keep the law of Moses, those 613 commandments found in Exodus to Deuteronomy. No, they went well beyond that. And when they got through building a fence around the law, they created thousands of commandments for the people to keep these commandments came by the Pharisees themselves and not only the Pharisees, but even uh, generations before them. So, but I don't want to get into all of that, but the point is they developed over time, all these additional rules and these rules that they developed with the intent in their mind per se, to build a hedge around the law. But these rules became sacrosanct. That is the additional rules of the Pharisees and, and generation before them became just as important and sometimes even more important than the law of Moses. And this is what Jesus had a serious problem with, that these rules, regulations, which would later on become uh, codified as what we call the Mishnah, but all of these additional rules, they placed on the people as commandments equal to the commandments of God, okay? And that's the problem. So with that, we get into chapter 12, and in chapter 12, we begin to see in somewhat of an illustration and some of the issue of Jesus having to deal with that, principally surrounding the Sabbath. What is, how should one keep the Sabbath? What is the breaking of the Sabbath? And this was a main and primary issue that the Pharisees had with Jesus in his time in that Jesus would not validate all of their additional rules. He didn't do that. Jesus kept to and held to the law and also too, he put himself forward as the Messiah, one who is the giver of the law and even one who can properly interpret the law, Matthew five and seven, and even concerning the Sabbath, one who is greater than the Sabbath itself. And remember what we don't, what we need to understand is especially how the Jews of that day looked to the Sabbath. They, they practically worshiped the Sabbath. Remember, you will find out later that Jesus will say for the set for the for man, follow it carefully. Man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for the benefit of the man. The Pharisees actually thought, and this is what they taught, that man indeed was created to worship the Sabbath, to acknowledge and celebrate the Sabbath. So they had got this thing completely backwards. And so when Jesus had interactions with them concerning the Sabbath, it always ended on a sour note. Okay, so without getting into all of that, let's just go into chapter 12 and start dealing with this issue as we're speaking now concerning the Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. So now let's get into this now, and forewarning. 
Number one, first of all, Matthew chapter 12 is very extensive. So we will not cover all of Matthew chapter 12 in this particular teaching. I think we're going to look about we're going to divide it into two teachings because this situation will build, will build and and become foundational as proof, evidence that the Pharisees had already rejected Jesus. OK. And then as we continue the rest of Matthew 12 in an additional teaching, but it will make a extreme pivot in the ministry of Jesus towards Israel. And I want you guys to get a firm understanding of both this first section that I'm going to talk about as well as the second section that I'm going to talk about, because the second section is extremely important. Okay. So without all of that, now let's just simply get into the passage. So we come to a time when Jesus and his disciple were walking through a grain field and the disciples were picking the wheat grain of wheat and they were eating the wheat. And so the Pharisees, as we see, were following Jesus. And as it's clear in the passage, they were trying to find reasons to condemn Jesus. So at this time, they were not able to find any reason to condemn Jesus, but they were finding a reason in their mind to condemn Jesus's disciple. And so in condemning Jesus disciple, they were uh, indirectly condemning Jesus. And this is exactly what they were trying to do. But what is the issue? The issue deals with the violation of the Sabbath. And we remember Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Set the Sabbath apart, make it a holy day, not a common day. Okay. So the issue of work is what is being involved. And so what the Sadducees had surmised, and this was their ruling. This is something again, that that additional teaching that putting a hedge around the law, making things up that God did not state in the scripture. And this is what they were doing. So they considered what Jesus disciples were doing was work because when they pluck the head of wheat, they considered that to be reaping. When they took that wheat in their hands and their fingers and rubbed it together uh, uh, um, to, to keep it from to, to break the wheat kernel, uh, uh, they considered that to be uh, harvesting. And then when they blew the chaff off so they can get to the wheat and eat it, they, they considered that to be uh, reaping. So all of this, they considered it to be work. And this now this absolutely is <laughs> is not the intent of God and it was ridiculous in itself. But nevertheless, it was one of those rules that the said that the Pharisees, I'm going to say it again, additional rules that the Pharisees had established. Okay. This was not meant this, what God meant by the not working or keeping the Sabbath day holy. First of all, let's consider it. If it was not what God, if it was what God meant that they shouldn't do this, Jesus would not have allowed his disciples to do it in the first place. But because he did permit them, he was well aware of what they were doing. It was fine and it was permissible. It was not breaking the Sabbath because remember, Jesus himself did not break any of the law. And so, of course, he's not going to permit his disciples to just go around breaking the law. But anyway, let's get to the text. So the Pharisees looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, the whole point said, and the key word is, it is not unlawful. And that's the thing that I'm trying to get you guys to see here. Notice unlawful. That means a breaking of the law. But in the mind of the Pharisees, here's what you got to see. This was not in the law of Moses. This was in their law. And what have they done at this particular time? They have equated their additional rules to be equal with the law of God. Now, but that's what they did all the time. Let me just go on in the text. And so Jesus gives, I believe here, three examples. The first example he gives was from first Samuel chapter 21, I believe in dealing with David when David was trying to escape Saul, who was seeking his life. And that's when Jesus said, have you not read what David did when he became hungry and his companions with him? And notice we can see a parallel. David 
and the greater David. The greater David is the Messiah, Jesus himself. The companions of David being parallel or compared to Jesus's disciples. So what David did and his companions did when he was hungry, how David ate the, ate the bread that was not permissible to eat except for the priest alone. So the law simply says this. Okay, let me, I'm gonna slow it down. In the law, in the tabernacle, so David came into Ahimelech, I believe that was his name. In the law, it stated that there should be 12 loaves of bread set in the holy place of the tabernacle. Okay, remember you had the outer, outer place of the tabernacle, outer place, and this is where they would slaughter the animals and also do the washing. Then you would have the inner place or the holy place, or some people call it the inner court, and that's when you will have this uh, place with the tent, the tent where, where it would have no artificial light coming into it. You're getting closer and closer to the most sacred place of God, the holiest of holies. But inside this inner place would be, first of all, the lamp, the, uh, uh, the candelabra, okay? And this was a, would give light in the holy place, right directly in front of the tent, in front of the tent of the most holy of holies. And I don't know how I got it in this, and I don't want to explain all of this, but this is how it worked. In the most holiest, holiest of holies, right before that, would be the incense altar where the priests would burn incense and the smoke would go up. This would indicate the prayers of God's people before God, okay, the Ark of the Covenant. And then on the other side of that would be, and this is the point, the table of the showbread, okay, table of the showbread. And this is where bread was in 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and I'm not going to get into all of the representation of what that means. We're not discussing that. But these 12 loaves that the priest would prepare and they would put into the uh, holy place and regularly replace them on every Sabbath day. So every Sabbath day, they'll get a new loaf and put it there. David was running away from Saul. The men that were with David became hungry and David asked Ahimelech, does he have any bread? Ahimelech said he did not have any common bread. That is bread that would be suitable for David and his men to eat. The only bread that he had was the show bread. And this bread, according to the law, was only permitted to be eaten by the priest and his family. Okay. But nevertheless, because that was the only bread, the priest asked David, he said, well, uh, these men, you, you know, what's going on? Are you righteous men? You good men? Have you kept yourself away from women? And David's answer, these are good men, righteous men, and no, they haven't touched women. And how much more would they be righteous even after eating this bread, so to speak? But, and so the priest relented and gave David the bread that was only permissible for the priest to eat. That's the idea. So that's what Jesus is saying right here. And so David ate this consecrated bread. And so Jesus is saying this, his teaching is that the human life is more valuable in the sight of God. And I, let me just simply say it this way, and I say it in a careful way, than a mere technicality, because later on, he's gonna to come to the end about showing mercy. God is determined more so with the preservation of human life. But the Pharisees are simply interested in outward righteousness. And that was the problem that Jesus always condemned the Pharisees of. They always made a public show of their righteousness. But inside, remember what Jesus said, inside you are dead men's bone. It means you are of the most unclean of all. But they always wanted to project and others to see how righteous that they were, which indeed they really were not. And this is the issue that Jesus is addressing here. God's true concern is for the preservation of life and for mercy. And then Jesus gives him a second example concerning what the priests themselves do on the Sabbath day. Notice in verse number five, have you not read 
in the law. That is in the law of Moses, not your rules, but the law that is written in Moses, how the priest on the Sabbath day profane the law or break the law. And what Jesus literally meant was in the law, it was permissible for the priest to do certain things like sacrifices. And that is animal sacrifices and things of that nature, which could be construed as work. If you know, if you know what I'm trying to say. And Jesus said they did things on the Sabbath day and were held guiltless. So he's saying, no, no, you misunderstand. That's the point of Jesus. You are misunderstanding what God means about keeping the Sabbath day holy. And that is don't treat it as a common day. Don't treat it as a day for you to simply go out. We'll see this in the Old Testament. People go out working or in the book of Nehemiah, people trading and, and selling things in the marketplace. That's treating it as a common day. That's what God meant, not what my disciples are doing. And so Jesus is giving examples to this end. And then he says to the thing concerning himself, and you can imagine this really made the Pharisees angry, but I say unto you something greater than the temple itself is here. And notice concerning, notice in the two examples, both of them involved the tabernacle. The tabernacle is before, it's the tent that was mobile. It went from place to place. The tabernacle later on became the temple when it was established in Jerusalem and it became the permanent place of worship. But it is still the same thing. Tabernacle, temple. You're talking about the same thing. Each of those two examples that Jesus gave was in some way related to the tabernacle. Because notice David ate the showbread, the bread of the presence from that came from within what the inner place of the tabernacle or the temple and also to the priests doing their work in what? Once again, the tabernacle or the temple. And so notice what Jesus said, something greater than the tabernacle or the temple is here. That is Jesus referred to himself because whether it is the showbread, whether showbread was placed in the tabernacle and it is the temple, it is the temple that hallows the bread of the presence or whether it is the animals that are sacrificed within the temple and, and notice the animals in, in their sacrifice, it is still the temple that sanctifies these things. So the temple is greater than any of these things. Jesus now compares himself to the temple and says, even it, the temple greater than those things that I just told you about, but something here is greater. I am greater than the temple. So Jesus elevates himself even greater than that, which sanctifies those things that are present in the temple, done in the temple. He great. The Messiah is greater than all of these things. And that's Jesus's whole point. He is not only the giver of laws, he can establish laws as well as precedences of the law. I say what is to be done. Something greater than the temple is here. Okay. I hope you guys understood that. And so Jesus said, but the problem is see, because of their rejection of him. If you had known what that means, what, what this means, what this means. And he quotes I, I, Hosea chapter six, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. That is what Hosea says. I desire mercy. I desire goodness. I desire an inner righteous. That is the thing that is most important of God is from an inner, inner righteousness that we have concerning other things, notable, notable in this situation, the disciples of Jesus. I desire mercy and not just simple outward performance of rituals. Notice in the compassion in this context, I'm sorry. What do we see them condemning Jesus 
and Jesus' disciple because of this winnowing of grain in their hands. These little nonsense rule and not having mercy upon these disciples because the life of the disciple is greater than these little simplistic rules that they are, they are creating that give some outward appearance of righteousness. God ain't concerned about all this looking righteous. He concerned about true righteousness that comes from within. And this true righteousness evidences itself when it has mercy on other people. You understand that true righteousness comes from within, not observance of little acts that make you look all say, but it comes from within your heart. And this true righteousness, the evidence that it is in you shows when you have mercy on other people. And that's why Jesus says, if they had truly understood what Hosea meant when he said that, they would never have condemned his disciples in the first place. Okay. And then he ends in verse number eight. Notice now, notice, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I don't want to, okay, I always keep saying that. Let me just go ahead and talk about it. The son of man, that is a reference to the messianic title. That is Jesus saying concerning himself. He points his finger directly to himself as the Messiah saying, I have been telling you that I am the Messiah. And let me tell you something about the Messiah, about me. I am Lord of the Sabbath by Lord of the Sabbath. He simply means he is greater than the Sabbath. He is the one who gives the Sabbath. He is the one who can determine what is to be done on the Sabbath. He is the one who can determine what is not to be done on the Sabbath. And even so, he is the one who can set aside the Sabbath. I hope you guys got all of that. That was just powerful. Lord of, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the ruler of it. I determine what it is, what should be done, what should not be done. And if I desire, I can displace it. And we'll see later on in the new covenant that God gives, Jesus actually displaces the Sabbath day. Okay. We are no longer, we find out under the covenant that we have in Christ, we are no longer to acknowledge the Sabbath day. We are free for whatever day we wish to. The Sabbath day, we are no longer under that, even under the whole law of Moses. Why? Because Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath day. All right. So we see this first issue wrangling again about the Sabbath day. And now we're going to go to another issue. Once again, wrangling about the Sabbath day. And remember all of this is done because the Pharisees already do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, they have already made up their minds about him. They have already rejected him and the Sabbath or this whole issue concerning the Sabbath, their improper interpretation and creation of a bunch of rules that Jesus totally, absolutely rejected. They used the Sabbath as a reason to condemn Jesus and also to get others who may be believing or on the fence about whether to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They use these things also to try to convince other people saying that Jesus is not the Messiah because if he was the Messiah, he would keep the Sabbath day. And again, Sabbath day, like we say he should keep the Sabbath day. Okay. So now let's just simply go into the next issue revolving around the Sabbath day and all of that. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched, out, he stretched it out and it was restored to normal just like the other. 
But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them and he warned them not to tell who he was. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory and in his names the Gentiles will hope. Okay, so now we get into this second issue once again concerning the Sabbath day. So Jesus, as, as no, normally his custom would be, he would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as to worship. And there, when he was in the synagogue, there was a man with a withered, withered hand. And notice the Pharisees were also there condemning Jesus. And here's the whole idea. The man with the withered hand was most likely plant. He was planted there. The Pharisees brought him there intentionally to see if Jesus would heal the man so that they could bring more accusations against Jesus. So the man, this all was a setup, but nevertheless, so Jesus goes into the synagogue, the man is there with a withered hand, and notice what the Pharisees asked Jesus. You have to notice the questions. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Is it lawful? Now notice once again, when you ask, is it lawful? The first thing that the normal mind would do the true mosaic thinking would have is you would look back on the law of Moses and in all of those 613 laws of Moses, is there anything in that law that says do not heal? Healing is unlawful. Guess what you'll come up with? No, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the law of Moses that simply dealt with that said that healing was unlawful. But notice how the Pharisees are asking, is it lawful? That is once again, I'm telling you again, they had created so many rules in addition to the law of Moses. So now one of those rules that they had was it was unlawful. Uh, to heal on the Sabbath day because the Pharisees considered healing to be work. And remember, by considering to be work, that means you don't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And that was nowhere in the Sabbath day. And God never had that intention whatsoever. Again, all of these traditions of the elders, Pharisaic rules, all of these additional laws that they created that Jesus rejected, this was the reason why the Pharisees sought to kill Jesus. That was the reason. He did not go along with all of their rules and neither did he participate in establishing more rules, okay? But let me just keep going on. So, and the Bible said that uh, they did all of these things that they brought this man in, right? And asked him whether it's lawful to heal this man. They were, cause they knew, see, one thing that they knew about Jesus was his heart of compassion. They knew that Jesus was going to heal the man. And so therefore in healing the man, they would accuse Jesus of what? Breaking the Sabbath day, breaking the law of Moses, which he did, breaking their laws, all right, violation of the Sabbath. They just wanted to accuse Jesus here to turn the people away from Jesus. That's the primary idea because they themselves already have rejected Jesus. So let's go on. So Jesus in a common rabbinic form. What do I mean when I say that? Oftentimes, Jesus, first of all, Jesus is a rabbi. You need to understand that a rabbinic teacher. That's what rabbi literally means, a teacher. OK, it was a common way of answering a question. When a person came to a rabbi and asked a rabbi a particular question, it was common, very common for the rabbi to answer with a question. 
And so that's exactly what Jesus does here. He answers their question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? with a question and the nature of his question deals with notice the nature of his question deals with and it ties right back on to the previous section when Jesus quoted Hosea chapter 6 I desire mercy and this is the idea which of you Jesus says to these Pharisees having a sheep that should fall into a hole on the Sabbath day now notice will not have mercy on the sheep and get it out of the hole and getting the sheep out of the hole can be deemed deemed as a form of work because you got to get him out the hole he said but guess what even if your sheep fell in the hole on the sabbath day you will get him out and so jesus began to ask him in a man a human being much more valuable than a sheep so jesus reveals number one their hypocrisy that is it's ridiculous that you will get a sheep out the hole, out the ground, but you don't want to do help a man who's been cast down. You don't want to help him, but you will help a sheep. And then Jesus also reveals the hardness of their hearts, the mercilessness of their heart. You will have mercy on a sheep, but you won't have on a Sabbath day, but you won't have mercy on a man. This is ridiculous. And so Jesus summarizes and simply said, notice how Jesus puts it. Remember, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal? Notice how Jesus turns it. He says, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Doing good is not work. This is not violating the Sabbath by Jesus having mercy on this man Healing this man is not, first of all, it doesn't violate the, the Sabbath day of Mosaic law. And it also does not violate the act of doing good. Doing good is permissible. So Jesus literally turns to the man, tells him to stretch out his hand. And the man's hand was restored to health, just like his other hand. Now, then it says, so this is a mirror. Now, now, okay. Okay, I want you guys to see this, not just hear the words, but to see and to feel this in your own mind and heart. This man's hand, however, whatever was wrong with it, okay, probably could not extend it or whatever, but whatever, it was messed up, visibly messed up. The Pharisees chose this man because his hand was visibly messed up. Jesus told the man to stretch out and the man's hand just, just beautiful in the presence of in the sight of everybody, okay, in the sight of everybody, Jesus did this miraculous work. Now, let's look at the response of the Pharisees, and I'll show you where I'm going with this. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as how they might destroy him. So the Pharisees noticed their response to a miracle. Remember the whole point of miracle, really, sign is to prove and to authenticate what Jesus says. The point of the sign is to prove and authenticate that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, the Messiah, the Son of Man. I am the Messiah and I am who I say that I am. What's your proof of that? You guys put him to the test with the man with the hand. What did Jesus do? He gave laws concerning these things. And how did Jesus authenticate the truth of his word, the veracity of what he's saying? He healed that man in your sight. What you should have responded to Jesus is in worship. Truly, indeed, you are the Messiah the son of God. Truly indeed, what you have said concerning the Sabbath day is true. Why? You proved it. Everything that you've been saying about yourself are greater than the temple is here or greater than the Sabbath is here. The teachings concerning the Sabbath, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. You proved that not simply because you said it with your mouth, but you proved it by the deeds that you did. And notice the response of the Pharisees. They still, they went out. They completely rejected the sign. They completely rejected the proof and went out 
and started trying to come up with ways in order to put Jesus to death. This is proof positive at this point. They have already rejected Jesus. And this is also proof positive at this point. And y'all hear me on this. If the Lord himself, if God does not touch a man's heart, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. He will not believe. God must soften the heart. God alone must prepare the heart because notice here, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God is present on earth. The God man made flesh with them doing things they have never seen done before dealing in these contestable issues about whether you can do this, but nevertheless, Jesus is working signs and wonders in front of their faces. I mean, they're sitting there looking at, I would have passed, me, myself, I would have passed out. When I saw that man, I would say, oh my God, what did he just do? And Jesus did this stuff all the time, all the time. What did John say? If we told you about all the stuff that Jesus did, all the books in the world, he did it all the time. I would, me personally, and this is just how I'm thinking in my own crazy mind, I just fell out and said, this man is truly magnificent. I would have said like Nathaniel, Lord, indeed you are the king, the Messiah, the king of Israel, the son of God. That's what I'm thinking I would say. But my point here is this, in the Pharisees' rejection of Jesus, no matter what he did, that's why the scripture says, although he did, this John, so many signs before them, yet they did not believe in him. If God does not touch a person's heart, I don't care if Jesus himself came down and did miracles before them, just like this. If God don't touch the heart, they wouldn't believe either. Just like many in Israel did not believe. Although Jesus, he just said, I just took you guys to Matthew 11. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon that were done in you, they, that's the whole point. I keep telling you, salvation is of God alone. It is not about us. It is not about what we do. It is not so much about our determination, our making the choice and this and that. I just, you just don't see it in the scripture. God chooses. God must soften the heart. And if God don't open your eyes, you will not see. If God doesn't open your ears, you will not hear. And if God doesn't soften your heart, you will not receive. Why? So that no flesh, nobody will glory in God's sight. Glory to God alone for all these things are because of God. And so therefore, let his name be prayed. But anyway, enough preaching. I didn't intend to preach. So we look at what the Pharisees did. They rejected that and they set their minds to kill Jesus. So notice, absolute rejection. The Pharisees are the leaders of the people. And we will find out as, as are the leaders of the people, so will the people as a whole follow their leaders. Pharisees rejected Jesus and the people will later on reject Jesus. And this is why I reserved the latter part of Matthew chapter 12 to deal with that because of the prominent issues that will come up in that part. But notice they did reject Jesus and now they're trying to kill him. So this is the atmosphere. You got that? The Pharisees are antagonistic to you. They're always, but now they have set their minds to kill Jesus. Keep that in mind. So what happens in verse number 15? It says, but Jesus was aware of these things. Many follow. Okay, so here's the thing. Okay. He knew now, it is now at this point that the Pharisees have made a determination to kill Jesus. Okay. Jesus did not do things to further antagonize the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't, he didn't try to push the issue. He didn't try to push a fight. He didn't try to keep things going. And that's what you got to see when you get into Matthew's quoting of Isaiah 42. Jesus understanding that they trying to, they want to kill him. 
he did not become further confrontational. Why? Because number one, here's the main thing that you need to understand. Even though, even though Jesus knew he should not die before his time. In other words, Jesus was not going to be stoned to death like Stephen was or, or anything like the Pharisees. He had to die at the prescribed time that he had to die at the prescribed manner in which he had to die at the prescribed moment at the time of the Passover. He had to fulfill that which was written of him in how he should die. He couldn't die before then. So therefore, Jesus would not do anything to push that issue, not of himself. In other words, when we go all the way back, I believe it's Matthew chapter four in the temptations of Satan to Jesus. Remember, Satan took him up to a high point of the temple, jump off. But the response of Jesus was, it is written. Remember, Satan said, because God's going to send his angels. That's true. But Jesus said it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in other words, Jesus was not going to put God to the test and you take care of me until I go to the cross. No, no, no. Jesus knew that they wanted to kill him. He knew he had a mission to fulfill. He knew that his preaching and teaching was to continue up until that time. So guess what he did? He just simply bagged off. All right. But now let's get on into the context here. Jesus refused to be confrontational. That's the point. That's the issue that you got to see. He is not trying to start fights with the Pharisees and get the Pharisees to do something to him. That's why it says so people follow Jesus. They followed him and Jesus began to heal. And notice what he says. Don't tell nobody who I am. Don't make Jesus known. All this is going to do is what? Stir the Pharisees up even more. So that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to be non-confrontational. That's why Matthew quotes Isaiah. This, that means Jesus acted in this way. He acted in what way? That when he heard the Pharisees wanted to kill him, he left. When he started healing all of those people in that region, he told them, don't make me known. Why? Because he wanted to fulfill what God spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 42. Behold my servant. That is, he identifies Jesus as the servant, the one who does the will of God, whom I have chosen. All of that speaks for itself. God chose Jesus. My beloved, we saw that in the baptism of Jesus, in whom my soul is well pleased. What did God say? My beloved son. And then he was like, I'll put my... Now, what Matthew is not trying to do in this quote of Isaiah 42 concerning Jesus. He's not saying Jesus is fulfilling all of this part of Isaiah 42 at this time. That's not what he's doing. Matthew is concentrating on a certain portion of the prophecy of Isaiah. Notice he said, I put my spirit upon him. He proclaimed justice to the Gentile. The spirit of God was upon Jesus at the baptism, but Jesus is not proclaiming unto the Gentiles. So Matthew is not concerned about that. He continues on. Here is in verse 19 and verse number 20. This is why Matthew is quoting Isaiah 42. Notice what did Jesus do again? When he heard that the Pharisees wanted to kill him, he left. He wasn't going to be confrontational. When he healed all of those people, don't make me known because the Pharisees wanted to kill him. He didn't want to be confrontational. 19. Now, he will not quarrel nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. See it now? That means Jesus is not going to be pushy. He's not going to be confrontational. And that's why you see he left. And Matthew says he fulfilled this because he always was kind of back on down on this thing. 20, a battered reed he would not break off, a smoldering wick he would not put out until he leads justice to victory. So in other words, Jesus would not be confrontational, needlessly antagonistic and just problematic. Jesus was not going to be in your face if he doesn't have to be in your face. Jesus will just bag off of you. And that's what we see Matthew is saying. He fulfills Isaiah the prophet because Jesus becomes non-confrontational. And then he says in the end and in the, his name, the Gentiles will hope. 
this is all still futuristic from that point. But my point is, Matthew is quoting Isaiah simply to say, as we see in the context here, Jesus backed off of the Pharisees and Isaiah says that the Messiah wouldn't be non-confrontational. Okay. All right. That brings it into that. So what we see is once again, as Jesus talks about at the end of chapter 11, I already talked about a quick review again. Come unto me, those who are heavy laden, heavy laden with what? All of these additional rules of the Pharisees. Why? My yoke is easy, Jesus said. My burden is light. I'm not going to be like them with a thousand additional rules. Then we see the example of such additional rules in chapter 12 concerning the Sabbath day. What two things did we see? The Pharisees con considered the winnowing of wheat, taking, plucking wheat and winnowing wheat and all this foolishness as work and a violation of the Sabbath. What did we also see? The Pharisees thought healing on the Sabbath day was a violation of Sabbath. All of this yoke, all of these additional rules and Jesus comes as Lord of the Sabbath, even one greater than the temple, one to administer how the Sabbath should be acknowledged and one who is greater than the Sabbath to give the rules of the Sabbath. And even if he wishes, he can set the Sabbath aside. And so now we see how the Pharisees had an issue with Jesus because Jesus did not go along with all of their rules. And therefore the Pharisees at the midpoint here, as we are in chapter 12, have already determined, they've already rejected Jesus. Now they have moved to the point they are seeking to kill Jesus. So when we get into the rest of chapter 12, we're going to get into a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus. I'm not gonna open the door to it just yet, but it's gonna deal with the casting of demons. We're gonna get to a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus and to, as to where Jesus is, approach, approach to Israel will change dramatically at this point. So be very careful to join me as we continue in Matthew chapter 12 as to what all of this means. See you then. Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too, guys. All the, the computers, the cameras, the blah, 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 blah. They take resources. So if God touches your mind and your heart, bless this ministry. If it helps you, if these teachings help you, bless the ministry, send a donation, or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things. I don't do it. I don't do it to make money, God forbid, but I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously with joy, because it does give my heart joy, to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit, for your spiritual enrichment. Okay, so help me out.